Well, as you figured out, it's a stewardship Sunday, and so the stewardship uh, committee asks the pastor each year to preach a stewardship sermon, um, which we've made clear is not only about money, but today is going to be kind of directly about money. Um, some churches, I am told, I mean, um, this is surely not Gloria Day, but other churches, I am told, have a member or two who are, I am told, kind of stewardship curmudgeons. And, and I'm told that when they, if they were here, but they aren't because this is glory of day, they would have already thought to themselves, all the church ever does is talk about money. The chronic observation uh, is that, that life's corrigions love to make. At Gloria today, um, all the church ever does is talk about money. This is not true, of course. That said, if, it, if, it, if it's occurred to you that it seems like this year maybe we have talked a little bit more about money than sometimes, um, this is also true. Uh, and, there's two, and there's two reasons for that. Number one, a few years ago, um, Gloria Day members decided that this spot, this historic location of Gloria Day, uh, next to campus, uh, was going to be remain your spot. And, and you decided then, you know what, this building needs to be uh, taken care of. And so you launched what was called a Grace Building Capital Appeal, and the second phase of that, which we cleverly called Grace Building 2, uh, GB2, uh, finished up this year, and so we talked about money. There's another reason why we talk about money this year, if you say it seems like a little more. It's because every year, one of the gospel writers serves as kind of the, the narrator, the primary narrator for the um, our worship readings for the year. And this year, it's Luke. And you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of course. but And they all tell the same old, old story of Jesus and his love, of course. But they all, by the time they tell it, just think there are certain things about what Jesus' love looks like and what it sounds like uh, and what it does. Um, and Luke, um, more than anybody, emphasizes the fact that, uh, that Jesus' love looks like um, care for and compassion for uh, and giving for uh, the needs of the excluded, uh, the marginalized, the poor. Which in Luke's gospel, and some of us have been reading this on, on every Thursday at our Bible study, there's just this increasingly obvious louder and louder um, sense of conflict and because of the pushback he gets from people who are rich. Everybody mentions that in some ways. Luke, really, you just can't miss it. Um, and so Luke tells some stories that others don't, and that's part of why we have it. The, the Good Samaritan, where the rich and the privileged walk by this person in need, and the one who's the outsider, the uh, well, pick your group of outsiders from today. This, a Samaritan would have been one of them um, who stops and gives for the need of the one in need, even though it costs him <coughs> risk, time, uh, and money. It costs money to do what God wants. Then, too, there's the Luke-only story that I preached him a few weeks ago. And what do you know? A few weeks ago, I was preaching about money because the story... Well, Luke tells it, the story of this rich man who winds and dines his way through life. And there's this poor man whose name is Lazarus, who's literally starving to death right on his doorstep. And the rich man ignores him. And finally, Lazarus does die. And when he does, he goes to heaven. And, and in the story, Jesus says the rich man dies and, and doesn't go to heaven. Or there's Luke 18, where Luke... Uh, is not the only one who tells the story, but you can be sure he's one of the ones who doesn't omit the story of that young man who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to have inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. He says, I do. Uh, 
and Jesus said, well, there's just one thing you lack, and that is to sell all you have and give to the poor. And then it says the man is very sad because he's very rich. And Jesus looks at him and it says that he loves him. And then it says how hard it'll be. It'll be easier, he says, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And indeed, Jesus says, lest we um, start religiously thinking that camels can somehow religiously find their way through uh, the eyes of needles. I'm telling you, people talk themselves into thinking that. Uh, Jesus says the point, it's impossible for a rich person to uh, enter the kingdom of heaven, except for one thing, he says, God. God can do impossible things. Which takes us to our text for today where an impossible thing happens. Um, a rich man is saved. You know his name, um, Zacchaeus. You know about him, maybe not because you've read it that often, but because We've had Sunday school children stand up here and sing this song, I'm sure, at some point. You sang the song of Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. And he climbed up in a sycamore tree with the Lord, I can't hear you, he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. Here's how Luke tells that story. Our gospel reading for today, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowds, he could not because he was short in stature. He was a wee little man. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see Jesus because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Huh. Jesus stood there and said to the Lord, Zacchaeus said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Four points from the Let's Keep It Basic Bible Study Department. Number one, Jesus came to find people who were lost in whatever was the specific lostness they were lost in, and to save them, to rescue them, and in doing so, to lead them from death to life. Zacchaeus, apparently, was lost in the lostness of his money. And what he could do to get it, and what he could do with it, but something apparently was missing, and he couldn't give something, that something a name, but it drove him up a tree. Observation number one repeated. Jesus came to find people who were lost in whatever was the specific lostness they were lost in and to save them, to rescue them, and in doing so to lead them from death to life. Number two, people who are saved find themselves, that find that they're welcomed 
into what the Bible calls the kingdom of heaven. Number three, the kingdom of heaven, in the Bible's way of speaking, is not just about somewhere over the rainbow eternal life someday. The kingdom of heaven is also about living a life that is the real thing, that is real life, here and now, today, which leads to the fourth and final observation the let's keep it basic department where Jesus is here and now and therefore where the kingdom of heaven is because it just trails along with them where Jesus is here and now and therefore where the kingdom of heaven is here and now and therefore where life that is real life is here and now generosity is generosity is here and now I mean if the Bible is true uh, and I've got to tell you, curmudgeons, and I've got one of these guys in my heart. I can tell you the closet he lives in in there. He really, money. Hmm? Uh, if the Bible is true, then even my curmudgeon just doesn't even get to debate that point, biblically speaking. It's just so plain, it is not debatable. Where Jesus is and where people seeking to live the desires of Jesus are, there is generosity, which leaves open the possibility that there's a corollary to that that is also true, which is where Jesus is, generosity is, then where generosity isn't, Jesus isn't, at least not fully. Now, if you are not a Glory Day member visiting today, you are welcome to tune out now. Uh, and I just reflect on how that all applies to you and your walk of faith and your life with Jesus. Um, if you are a member of Gloria Day, um, you're invited to tune in as we get to some bolts and nuts um, about how to reflect on that not debatable truth uh, and your walk of faith and your relationship with this church where we call Jesus Lord. This week, as Greg said, if you're a Glory Day member, um, you'll get a letter, an email, if you're signed up for emails, uh, by way of indicating what time and talents you might wish to uh, offer, but also by way of what kind of financial support you're willing and able to offer, given the fact, <clears throat> I was explaining to this to the Sunday school class today, the seventh eighth graders, who, <clears throat> some of them, I was at the game yesterday. <clears throat> they weren't going to lose because I wasn't yelling. <clears throat> They have lost even when I was yelling, so I really, anyway. Uh, some things we do, we, I discussed this briefly in Sunday school, actually cost money. Some of the things we believe that we are faithfully to do, gathered by grace and scattered for service, not anywhere near all the things we do and are called to do, but some of them actually cost money. Nuts and bolts and dollar signs specifically, turns out that our current uh, hopes and dreams and plans for Glory Day for 2020 come with a proposed budget that right now is looking like $577,000, which is $16,000 more than last year, which is a relatively small increase, which is where we're, we're working really hard on that this year uh, because of the other things we're going, we are going on. Uh, this coming week, you'll get um, uh, asked to indicate, this helps us on our planning, how much you think the church can plan on getting because it gets it from you. How much you intend to give. How much you intend to give? Okay, intend. Life happens. Uh, and sometimes life can happen, and what you intend, you, you are not able to give that much. You give less. Sometimes life happens, and you suddenly find you're able to give more. Uh, these, are, these, these things happen. It's your intent that you indicate. In pretty quick order, here's, here's just a few things to think about uh, as you think and pray about what number to put on that card or what 
first thing, remember that in the Bible's way of thinking, generosity is never measured by the dollar amount of what you give. It's measured by how the amount you give compares to the amount you are able to give from, right? It's a proportional thing. It's a percentage thing. And so you cannot go through the checks uh, in, the, in the church offering plate and see who is the best giver, the most generous giver, by seeing who wrote the biggest check. Not biblically speaking. You can see who wrote the biggest check. But the most generous giver, it's measured by how you give, um, compares to what you've been given to give from. Um, so Luke, of course, two Gospels tell this story, but you bet Luke's one of them. Jesus pointing out to the best giver he'd ever seen in his whole earthly life, that being the widow who came to church and put two pennies in the plate, in the offering plate. Jesus said it was the, nobody's ever been that generous because two pennies was all that she had. How you measure generosity in the Bible's way of thinking and in Jesus' way of thinking is not measured by the amount you give, but how the amount you give stacks up compared to the amount you have able available to you to give from. A second thing, speaking of percentages um, and proportions, this is not a written in stone rule. Um, we are gathered by grace. Uh, but by the time you get to the New Testament, in the Bible's way of thinking, nevertheless, it is a, I want to say, kind of faithfully fun percentage to aim for, and that is 10%. 10% uh, in the Bible is called a tithe. Uh, giving 10% is called tithing. Uh, people who do that are called tithers. Some of you, and I know this, uh, are not in a position to do this, and I do not want you to feel guilty about that. Some of you are in a position to do more than that, and I'm not going to tell you not to think about that. Um, I've known people personally who were double tithers. They gave 20%. Um, Zacchaeus, after all, after Grace got a hold of his heart, did not start tithing. Did not start double tithing. He was a quintuple tither. He filled out his, his commitment card that day. He wrote 50% down. I'm going to give. Um, which dwarfs what Kathy and I um, have ever done. Last year, uh, I did the math as best I could. It seemed like it was 11 or 12%. Uh, the largest amount in our case goes to Glory Day, but not all of it. Um, we give to some other things. We sponsor some organizations that we think do good and faithful work. Um, I will tell you, earlier in our marriage, um, we didn't do anywhere close to 10%. Earlier in our marriage, I seem to recall um, that we did about 2%. Which is a reminder, um, you know, no one ever asked, the Bible certainly never asked people to do what they're unable to give. When we gave 2%, that seemed like what we were able to do. Um, all are asked to give to church, to God's work in the world in other ways. Uh, what by grace you find yourself able to give. Another thing, for those who are thinking, <clears throat> and or maybe, and this, sometimes people wonder what the Holy Spirit sounds like. It might sound like this voice in your head, suggesting that maybe you could do the unlutheranly thing of not just doing what you've always done before. It could be that that voice that says, you know, maybe you could, maybe I could grow my giving. That might be her, the Holy Spirit. Um, some people who have done that. Um, have, have done that by figuring out the percentage, going back, I don't what percentage did I give last year, and then saying, you know what, uh, I'm going to bump that 1% this year. And then maybe next year I'll bump it 1% until I get to this place where I want to be. Maybe, maybe that's to 5%. Maybe that's to 10 Maybe that's to 20 Of course, figuring percentages can be its own can of worms. 
when you figure that Leviticus, for all the laws it has there, does not speak about the United States tax code. I mean, it's not in there. So again, if you're going to give a percentage, what do you get a percentage of? It's not in there. Um, I don't know the right answer even to tell you. I base ours on adjusted gross income. Uh, I know other people who base theirs on uh, taxable income. I don't think anybody's right or wrong about that. Uh, but I'm pretty sure doing something like that based on something or other is more effective than doing nothing like that based on nothing or other. Whatever you give, just remember, and I, Greg, Greg just lifted this up so well, the most important thing of all about Christian stewardship is, is that we, that is, the, is the thing that, that, that we little man in the tree discovered the minute Jesus looked up there and called to him by name. Uh, remember, we don't give in order to get Jesus. We, like that we little man in the sycamore tree, we give in joyful response to the one who, full of grace, gave all that he gave to come get, to come love, to come find in our lostness, to come save us. And what he saved us for, here and now and forever, what he saved us for is life. And in support of that work and desire of God, what he gave, what he gave, was his all. He wasn't a tither. He was a hundred percent. What I like to do, whether it's by giving a glory a day, whether it's giving financially, whether it's giving other ways, whether it's giving other things, time, talents, what I like to do is think of any giving we do as just a small way of saying thank you to Jesus, the greatest giver in the history of the world. And thank you to you.